What's up, guys? Welcome to episode six of the True Crime Society podcast. I'm Stephanie here with Ashley and Olivia. As usual, we're going to finish talking about the Long Island serial killer today. If you haven't listened to the first part, go back one episode and listen to that one first and then catch back up with us here because we're going to go over the suspects and everything. So you're going to need some background info for that. I'm sure you've all heard about the Long Island serial killer, but there's a lot going on with it. Lots and lots. Yeah, too much, maybe. (laughs) Speaking of Long Island, which is in New York, where I live, it was super hot today for once. It was nice to get outside and explore after being quarantined for so long. Um, We're still in quarantine. Really nothing new on my end with that. I know that there's some updates in Australia, though. So it's all happening here. So we've had really good numbers for the last little while. I saw today in my state there was only one new case, so that's great. But um, as of last Friday, they lifted restrictions so that now it's it's a bit, I don't know how they come up with these restrictions anyway, but the new restriction is that now two people and their children can visit the home of another couple. So you don't have, like, I wouldn't have to go with my husband. I could go with a friend and we could all take our kids. Even if we had 10 kids each, we could take the 20 kids, <laughs> you know, and so you can go and visit. But basically, you can only go to one person's house for a social gathering with two other people. So that's good. And my kids are starting to go back to school next week. They've planned to start them back one day a week, but I suspect that will move fairly quickly to more days or full-time and they're hoping to get the kids back in full-time by the end of May. So fingers crossed. How are, has anything changed in the South? (laughs) Nope, still the South. Speaking of Long Island, I could really use a tea right now. (laughs) It's been that kind of weekend. (laughs) Long Island iced teas are so gross. They are, but they do the job. The spot. Do the job. They do. Yeah. <laughs> they do do the job. It's been a weekend where a job needs to be done. Yeah. I remember when we were young and probably too young to be at places to drink, we would always get those because it was the quickest thing to get drunk off of in case you got caught and got kicked out. <laughs> yes. Good I'm pretty time. sure they just put whatever's left into it. <laughs> yeah. The, drink, the dregs of each bottle into it. <laughs> They're so disgusting. I would never get one now unless I was trying to get drunk really fast. <laughs> That's how I feel about beer. That's what I did when I was 16. Mm-hmm. When we were on Bourbon Street, you could sneak it or at 18, they would kind of look the other way, let you order beers, but no hard liquors. I just can't do beer anymore, mm-hmm. which is very different from our craft master. Yeah, I drink a lot of beer. I have been dabbling in vodka a little bit, but... Vodka's the best. It's the only one that doesn't give you a hangover. Eh. Oh, it gives me a massive hangover. I've only been drinking more vodka lately because, I don't know, beer just makes me feel so bloated, especially yeah. with, like the heavy craft beers that my boyfriend likes to collect. They just make you feel like you ate a whole meal after like drinking two. I don't mind having a beer, but I, that's the one thing why I don't drink a lot of it because it just makes you feel so ugh, sluggish. Yeah. Me anyway. So in other news, this week on truecrimesociety.com, we've put together a little blog about cases where a missing person was eventually found in their own home. I know we spoke last week about, I think it was her name was Marianne Marsh, how she was found in her home months after being reported missing. And this actually happens a fair bit. We've started to compile all of the ones that we can think of. There's one in Australia of a guy called Daniel O'Keefe where he 
was found in his parents' home five years after he went missing. They had been living there the whole time and he was there the whole entire time. How does that not smell? Well, they explained, they never actually said for him, because he did take his own life in the end, they never said how he did it. But what they said that basically the house was built into the side of a hill so the bit where he went to do it was very, very remote, very cold, very dark. Basically, you wouldn't have accessed it unless you went searching for it. So maybe he was so tucked away that there was no smell, which I, I, I do agree. I can't believe there wasn't a smell, but there seems that there wasn't. I'm going to need to see a picture of that house because I'm envisioning something very strange. I put a picture <laughs> up on the blog and it doesn't look like... You know, it's a crazy house built into a hill, but I'm assuming there was rocks and things, you know, when they've had to excavate to build, he's there's been a pocket somewhere that he's been able to get into. So, When you say, like, a house built into a hill, for some reason I just think of in Lord of the Rings, like, where the hobbits no, live, where they literally lived in the hill. That's what you think I'm just of. But when you actually see the photos, it's not like that. I'm assuming maybe it was, like, a mound of dirt that they, I don't know, maybe it was rock or something. So they kind of built around that rather than taking it all out when they built the house. You guys watch different movies than me because I'm thinking Hills Have Eyes stuff. <laughs> not, not sci-fi, but straight up deliverance. <laughs> the movie was they absolute were, trash. It was, but deliverance kind of hillbillies there. It was like mentally scarring though, which is why it was trash. <laughs> but when we were talking about that, Last week, I remember I was saying how there was a semi-recent one where Liv had guessed, <laughs> like, oh, imagine they're all in their house, and they were. So we and finally we remember. I can't believe we even forgot. I, we finally figured out what case it was. Guess who? The Todds. How do you say their name? Uh, Tots. Tots. I feel like, like I've never like said it out loud. The Tots. T-O-D-T. Yeah. Well, it's Tots now. They were missing. They're in the blog as well, and they were missing apparently since mid-December. So we found out this about their case a few days before they were found. And remember, we made the joke, oh, imagine if they're all in the house. Because people were saying they had been going to the house, neighbours were saying they'd been going to the house to check them and there was nothing out of place. There was no smell and all that. And then they were all found dead in the house. Except Dad, who was just... Tried to kill himself with Benadryl. I'm going to put parentheses around tried because I have doubts. Yeah, that's an, another shocking one where just like, did no one go upstairs? <laughs> and yeah. Just him. Just him. When we were speaking quickly before about Daniel O'Keefe, his family released a statement and they said the family home was built 20 years ago and the back half was dug out of a limestone hill. Dan was found in a tight space between a wall of the house and solid rock earth a space that is very difficult to access. This area of the building is extremely cool and would have been especially cold over the first few months, which was winter, after Dan disappeared. So I guess, you know, if he de- which sounds graphic, I know, but if he decomposed in winter and it was cold, maybe the smell was less. I don't know how that works, but maybe that is what happened. But your cold isn't our cold, is it? Well, he's in Victoria. That was in Victoria, which is fit. like it does snow in some regions of Victoria. Like I don't know what the... Fahrenheit and Celsius conversion is, but I'm assuming, you know, it would have been like 10, say 10 Celsius during the day, which would be like, I don't know, what's Fahrenheit freezing, like 32? Yes. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it would have been like 45 or 50 maybe, maybe like around, maybe say 50. So that would have been the high. Yeah, it would have been chilly and frosty, I'm assuming most mornings too and things like that. So, Okay, fair. Still weird. Yeah. 
But anyway, there's there's quite a few. I think we've got like eight cases up there already. So we'll keep adding them as you guys send them in. But yeah, somebody else mentioned Molly today. Molly Miller. I think it was Molly. Her case was so weird. I don't know how much detail you want to get into here, but it was so weird. I didn't follow it that oh. much because I, I just remember everyone immediately going to the boyfriend. The political aspirations boyfriend yeah. and must have killed her because he had long curly hair or something it was there were a lot of reaches there and the weird, there was a lot of you could see it in his eyes I don't know if I'd and, forgotten because she went missing in 2000 the end of 2017 so I don't know if I'd forgotten but when I was putting it up on the blog she was found hanging in a closet so I, I still am confused about that like what was in that closet that she couldn't be found quicker but that she also had terminal cancer apparently when she killed herself. Door was closed. Oh, was People don't mm. seem to put in too much effort. <laughs> I, I don't open doors to closets. I'm afraid of what's going to fall out. Yeah, no I just thanks. think, wouldn't you just think that if someone was missing in your house, you would check everywhere. The closet. Like, <laughs> the closet, especially the closet. Maybe not all the crawl spaces and stuff, even though you should now that you've read this blog, but you think a closet. Always surely. check everything. Lesson learned, always check the closets. <laughs> um. So before we are recording this, we did a little watch party for Law and Crime. Um, the second season of Buried with Love is happening now. It just premiered today. So we'll be doing those every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. This season is about the Watts family. And even though I feel like everyone thinks they know everything about that case, it's pretty interesting to see all the footage and just remember what a smug asshole he was. It's very enraging. It's very surreal. Right? Like, I feel like I, I was so obsessed with that when it was happening, but still watching it makes mm-hmm. me angry. Well, because as much as this is the first case that I can think of where we got absolutely everything. The mm-hmm. Cora Act in Colorado allows for everything once the case is completed to be publicly accessed yeah so we got all the discovery and everything because the idiot just fell apart day two (laughs) and admitted everything and then as long as they gave his whore i mean his mistress (laughs) um what is that witness protection program which convinced me again that she didn't she go into witness protection she did smart i i believe it was confirmed that they put her in witness protection which is very interesting and um yeah, convince me she was not involved. Why would they put her into witness but, protection? Like she, I, right? I, like I don't get it. Like I know that she probably, I don't know. I don't. I assume she knew some of the things that were going on. But who does she need to be protected from? The public. That's what general I general public. <laughs> but, like no, the worst thing that anybody's going to do to her is call her a skank. Which yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know. A few hurts. crazy people who followed that, case. that. Like too, a few like, very not crazy, a few very passionate a- people. Might but like most of the from. crazy people are the ones who are writing to Chris and saying, marry me. Mm. More reason to kill Nicole. Well, that's, I mean, true. <laughs> okay. Fair. You win this round. Yeah. No, her, her life, I feel like if she didn't go into witness protection, and even still now, her life is absolutely destroyed, which it should be, assuming yeah. she, even if I don't I think she was involved, her. I feel like she definitely knew about it and probably knew more than she let on. But yeah. I still think even in witness protection, unless she went through some drastic changes, people will recognize her and she's not, it's going to be hard for her to get a job, just like go out. But then again, if Casey Anthony's still living and doing all right, I guess anyone (laughs) Playing with her friend's babies, like that photographer this week where she's cuddling the baby in a restaurant or wherever she was. Oh Christ. (laughs) See, I just, 
I do not. Well, that was from 2017. Somebody pointed out, uh, even though we posted it this week, that the Daily Mail had published that in 2017. Good old Daily so it was Mail. a super old picture. <laughs> we just needed a little reminder that Casey Anthony is still out there. Still yeah. holding babies. <sighs> Unfortunately. But I would buy that Nicole was not there during the act, but I have a hard time believing Chris would have done that if he didn't have help planning it. Yeah. I think that she was definitely the motivation for him to do Absolutely. And I feel like he's the type where he just, he's always trying to like talk about his emotions and seem like he's so emotionally ap- appealing. I feel like he definitely would have not been able to hide it from her. He's so gross. <laughs> he is. He's so fucking gross. Worse. <laughs> I still don't see it in his eyes, though. You what? I still don't see it in his eyes. Everybody was like, he's dead in the eyes. And I was like, okay, well. I did think he looked a bit dead when she told him that she was having the baby and, you know, she filmed it all. I thought they he was like, that clip like, on oh. the um, watch party. Yeah. I was going to yeah. write in the comments, but I didn't. I was big. He's so pissed right now. <laughs> he's like, we're expecting another one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Just that what was I was so dead. Like watching all those videos of the little girls saying, my daddy's my hero. And yeah. So I had to start acting up because I was going to cry. Yeah, Ashley gets really wild in the watch parties, so definitely (laughs) check it out. The one good thing, too, one extra good thing about Buried with Love is that they're quite short. Like They're only about 10 minutes long each one. So if you've only got a few minutes, you can sit down and watch, and then every week you can get a little bit of an insight into the case. a little taste. Yeah. Yeah. They're very flirty that way. Just give us a little taste when yeah. I come back for more. I'm like, is yep. that it? Where's the rest? I need more. But then it does happen every week. So, And Brian is often, almost always on the watch yep. parties. And he's fun in those as well. And he is part of the Law and Crime team. Yeah. Law and Crime's great. HLN's great. HLN, A&E, they're all great. A&E's great. Shout out to Live PD. <laughs> and I'm sure there's some other great people out there, but all the ones who support us, we love them all. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start today by talking about the suspects in part three of our podcast on the Long Island serial killer. Everybody knows somebody in Long Island. And I'm telling you for the record that the person who did this was highly stressed and people close to him would have seen a sudden change in his demeanor. He wouldn't have gone to work, he would have started drinking, he would have acted strange, and he would have left the area. The first one that we're going to speak about is James Burke. James was the Suffolk County Police Chief from 2012 until October 2015 when he resigned. His indiscretions went all the way back to the 1990s. There was an internal affairs investigation held after Burke allegedly had sex with an escort in a patrol car. The list goes on. In December 2012, a duffel bag containing sex toys, cigars, and a pornographic film was stolen from his parked patrol car, which had been parked outside his home. A heroin addict by the name of Christopher Loeb was later found in possession of the bag. When Burke found out someone had been arrested for the theft, he went into the police station to confront him. Loeb was at the time handcuffed to the floor of the interrogation room. It's alleged that Burke assaulted the suspect, screaming and threatening to kill him until the detective in the room finally said, boss, that's enough. John Meehan, the former chief of patrol, also testified in court that right after Burke assaulted Loeb, Burke told him, you're going to hear a rumor that I beat a guy and that I had kitty porn in the car. It's total BS. The FBI started looking into Burke's transgressions on June 25th, 2013. 
The assault of Christopher Loeb prompted a federal criminal investigation that lasted more than four years, and it eventually led to the resignation of both Burke and the longtime Suffolk County District Attorney, Thomas Spota, who was accused of trying to cover it up. Burke pled guilty in February 2016 to charges of a civil rights violation and conspiracy to obstruct justice. In 2016, Burke was sentenced to 46 months in a federal prison for the assault. U.S. District Court Judge Leonard Wexler said that Burke acted as a dictator and that the event had affected a whole police department. Burke was released from prison on April 11, 2019. The Federal Bureau of Prisons shows that Burke must still serve three years of supervised release, check in regularly with federal probation officers, and he must provide them with monthly statements of his income and expenses. He must also allow authorities access to search his residence, vehicles, and computers. After he was released, a source close to Burke said that he has not decided on any plans, but he's going to take several months to relax with boating in the summertime, and he will stay out of the limelight. So, how is James Burke associated with this case? An escort who conducted business with him has alleged that he is connected. Shannon Gilbert's attorney said that an escort identified as Leanne or Leanne came forward saying that she had rough sex with Burke during an Oak Beach party. The attorney John Ray said, This is the first time that there has been an actual connection made between former Chief of Police Burke, Oak Beach and prostitution, and that's why it's significant. Leanne said that in April 2011, she saw Burke drag a woman of Asian descent by her hair to the ground. When Leanne saw Burke for a second time, she decided to hook up with him as she'd been told he was powerful and high-ranking. She said that during oral sex, Burke yanked her head so violently that she started to tear up. Burke was unable to reach orgasm and he threw $400 in cash at her afterwards. She said that at the time, she was not a professional sex worker and that this was the first time she'd been paid for sex. Burke also allegedly told her during the incident that she was not a good whore. Burke's attorney, John Maringolo, told PIX11 News at the time, These allegations do not warrant a comment. It's also been rumoured that Burke blocked an FBI probe of the Long Island serial killer case during his time as police chief. The second suspect that we'll speak about is John Bitrilov. In September 2017, the Suffolk County Prosecutor Robert Biancavilla named John Bitrilov as a suspect in at least one of the murders. Bitrilov was a Suffolk County resident who in 2017 was convicted of the murders of two women back in 1993 and 94. Biancavilla released a statement at the time, noting that Bitrilov was likely responsible for the deaths of other women, and he said that there are the remains of the victims of Gilgo that may be attributed to the handiwork of Mr. Bitrilov, and the investigation is continuing. The women Bitrilov killed in the 90s were escorts, and they had been strangled, badly beaten, and left naked. They were posed similarly with their legs apart, and they had their arms over their heads. Bitrilov was convicted of these crimes due to the use of familial DNA. His brother Timothy had been convicted of criminal contempt. When Timothy's DNA was put into a database, it came up to a partial match to DNA left at a crime scene by Bitrilov. This was what led authorities to arrest him. He was sentenced to consecutive 25 years to life terms for the murders. The defendant, John Bitrolf, has been indicted for two counts of murder in the second degree for the intentional murders of Rita Tangretti Beinlich and also Colleen McNamee. 
the, both of the women were brutally beaten and strangled. Uh, you heard it, it's remarkable that we have this wonderful thing called DNA because there can't be any other person. I also want to just mention that we have a third woman who was killed in a very, very similar manner. Uh, she was found in North Sea in the town of Southampton. Her manner of death is very similar to the two other women. All of the women were found naked. All of the women's remains were uniquely positioned in the very same manner, including Sandra Castilla, the third victim. One article of their wardrobe in each instance was missing, and it was the very same article of clothing. Never have I seen uh, three, right now, three young women who were killed in, in such horrible, horrible fashions. His two victims were Rita Tangredi and Colin, Colleen McNamee. Rita was killed in November 1993 on a dirt road. Colleen had been missing for three weeks when she was found deceased on the Long Island Expressway Service Road in Shirley in January 1994. Suffolk County DA Thomas Spoda, who we also spoke about before in relation to the Burke case, told the media in 2014, there is no evidentiary or investigative link between these murders and any of the Gilgo victims. The evidence recovered, the manner in which their bodies were found, and the crime scenes are unique to them and distinctly different from the Gilgo scenes. Despite that, many people still question that two of the Long Island serial killer victims, Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe No. 6, were recovered very close to Bitrelof's house in Manorville. Rita Tangredi's daughter has also come out and said that her mother was best friends with another of the victims, Melissa Bartholomew. Melissa's mother told the media that there were lots of calls to Manorville made from Melissa's phone before her death. John Ray, the Gilbert family lawyer, has said there is no significance to Bitrelof living in the proximity to where the victims were found. He said Manorville is a huge forested area and I don't think it makes much of a connection. Manorville just happens to be a great place to leave bodies, he said, and that the same could also be said for the Ocean Parkway. Bitrelof is also a suspect in a third murder. Sandra Costilla's body was found on November 20, 1993 in North Sea, New York. She hasn't been confirmed to have been a sex worker, however detectives have said that she led a similar lifestyle. The next suspect or person of interest that we'd speak about is Joseph Brewer. Joseph, as we've mentioned earlier, was the last person to have seen Shannon Gilbert alive. He was 47 years old at the time she disappeared and he lived alone as he'd recently separated from his wife. He was unemployed and after his wife left, his place had become a bit of a party pad, including to neighbours. After Shannon vanished, he made a statement and claimed that the two of them had never had sex and that he'd never actually paid her for sex. He said that the reason for their sudden argument and why she flipped out was that he thought she was a man and that's why he wanted her to leave. Brewer told the Star Ledger that Shannon asked him if he had ever hired an online escort for sex. Then she asked, have you come across any transvestites? He was turned off, he said, and started to wonder if she was a man or at least part man. Joseph Brewer stated in a deposition that Shannon became inexplicably unhinged during the evening, and that's when he tried to call a stop to their date. 
During the course of the investigation into Shannon's disappearance, Brewer voluntarily surrendered his car to police and he also passed a polygraph. The police have cleared him as being involved in Shannon's death and he's since moved away from Oak Beach. The next suspect we'll discuss is Dr. Peter Hackett. He inserted himself as a suspect into this case after he contacted Shannon's family two days after she disappeared. Only two days after her disappearance, her mother, Mary Gilbert, hears from a mysterious stranger. I got a phone call from a man. He said, uh, my name is um, Dr. Peter Hackett. I'm calling to see if your daughter Shannon is there. I said, no. I said, you know, why? Who are you? And he said that he, um, he ran a wayward house for girls. Shannon was there. She was upset. He'd given her some uh, medication to calm her down. And he was worried about her. Is she home? He said he had let her into, her ha- into his house after she had begun knocking on doors in the neighborhood. He also said that he gave her a drug to calm her down. He told Mari that at this point she ran away from the house and did not return. When Mari questioned how Hackett had obtained her number, he said that anyone who stays at his alleged halfway house had to give an emergency contact. Mari thought this was very questionable, and I also do, considering how long Shannon was meant to have been at his house, which doesn't sound like long. Shannon's family travelled to Oak Beach on May 9 to put up posters and canvas the neighbourhood, hoping for info on her disappearance. They ran into Dr. Peter Hackett at this time, and he claimed it was the first time he'd ever spoken with the family. He denied calling Mari earlier and also claimed that he had never seen Shannon Gilbert before in his life. Peter Hackett has refused a formal interview with Crime Watch Daily, but we waited for him in the courthouse parking lot after his deposition to see if he had anything to say. Did you run a home for wayward girls? Of course not. So you didn't have anything to do with Shannon Gilbert's death? Of course not. Hackett's background is that he was a former physician who had worked for the Suffolk County as a police surgeon. He was married at the time with children of his own. There are some odd facts that you can find about Hackett online. In 1996, when TWA Flight 800 took off from JFK and exploded, killing 230 people, for some reason Hackett embellished his role as an investigator on the case. He was also fired years later for misusing a work cell phone. There are also rumours that he used to illegally prescribe drugs. Two neighbours signed affidavits saying they witnessed him acting as a doctor out of his own kitchen, trying to mend injuries and prescribe medication. There is no proof whatsoever that Hackett ever ran a halfway home or a house for wayward girls. And as for him denying that he called Mari on May 3, that was also a lie. Phone records show that he called from his wife's cell phone on the afternoon of May the 3rd. Nobody knows how he got that number as Shannon was only reported missing later that day. The phone records also show something else odd. For some reason, Hackett took his wife's phone and made the call to Mari from New Jersey. He deliberately travelled close to the Gilbert home to make the call. His phone records also show that he called Alex Diaz, who was Shannon's boyfriend, on May 6, and he also called Mari again. He later said he wished them well in finding Shannon. However, this goes against the statement he made on May 9, which when he said that was the first time he'd ever spoken to them. During the search for Shannon, Mari pushed for the marsh behind Hackett's house to be dredged and searched. He originally pushed back but finally consented, and this is when Shannon was found on December 13, 2011, and her death was ruled a drowning. 
The Gilbert family attorney, John Ray, has said that the drowning theory for Shannon's death came to police from Hackett. Shannon's family filed a wrongful death suit against him in November 2012. Today we're announcing the lawsuit that Mary Gilbert and the estate of Shannon Gilbert have brought against Dr. C. Peter Hackett, the uh, doctor of osteopathy who uh, was the last one to have encountered Shannon in Oak Beach on the edge of the swamp right before she died on that day. We allege that Dr. Peter Hackett has told others that he encountered Shannon knocking on his door on May 1st, that he let her in to his home and that he administered to her narcotics and that having done that, she was in such a state, a mental state, that he used the phrase that it was, quote, unquote, too late to help her and that he then released her to uh, her driver, Michael Pack, to the pimp and uh, He made this claim to other people in Oak Beach, other residents. Therefore, he also uh, is responsible as a medical doctor licensed in the state of New York to have treated her uh, with great fiduciary care. And he failed in that, in not only giving her drugs, which he had no right to do, but also in allegedly letting her go uh, from his custody and care in the condition in which he found her. At resulting in her death. I, I do believe in my heart that um, Dr. Hackett did play a major role in my daughter's death. And um, it was already proven that he was a liar once by de- denying he called me for over a year. So we're going to continue to prove that um, he did have something to do with my daughter's murder. They allege that Hackett took Shannon into his home on the morning of her disappearance and gave her drugs, which led to her death. We'll put more details about the wrongful death suit on our website as it is quite long, but some of the points from it say that the plaintiffs claim that Shannon's belongings were found 30 yards behind the home of the defendant in Oak Beach. More than a year later, Shannon's badly decomposed body was discovered half a mile from there in heavily thicketed marsh. During the evening prior to her disappearance, Shannon reportedly had been present at a party at the home of one of Dr. Hackett's Oak Beach neighbours. It goes on and on, and as I said, there's more information that you can find on truecrimesociety.com. In December 2013, a judge dismissed most of the wrongful death suit, and the case was totally dismissed in 2018. The police have ruled Hackett out on the basis that he was someone who likes to get involved, as you can tell by his lies about being involved in the TWA flight crash. According to CBS, some call him a storyteller and an exaggerator. Hackett's phone calls to Mari Gilbert match a known tendency of the Long Island serial killer to taunt the family members of the victims. Amanda Bartholomew, who is the younger sister of Melissa Bartholomew, received a series of calls sexually explicit and violent calls as well from the killer, and they were made from locations around Midtown Manhattan. Hackett has since moved from Oak Beach to Florida. The final suspect that we'll talk about is James Bissett. Two days after Shannon's remains were found, local business and nursery owner James Bissett took his own life. He was found dead in his car in a parking lot. 
There's not a lot of information available about James's past and why he may be tied to this crime. He doesn't have a criminal record that I can see or one that's applicable to this case anyway. It seems that the main reason he's tied to it is because the nursery that he owned was the main supplier of burlap in the region. This may be interesting as many of the victims were found wrapped in burlap sacks. One additional information piece about this sad case is the footnote about the death of Mari Gilbert, Shannon's mother. Mari was an advocate for Shannon and always fought for her case to be closed out properly. Mari's third daughter, Sarah, suffered from extreme mental illness. You may have seen that on Netflix, a new movie called Lost Girls has recently come out. The excerpt from it says, In late 2013, Sarah was watching the American Music Awards on television and became consumed with the belief that she and Shannon had co-written several hit songs for Rihanna, Beyonce and Jay-Z. Not long after that, she developed a second, more ominous set of delusions involving the people she loved becoming possessed by demons. She would insist that Shannon wasn't dead and that she could tell by looking into someone's eyes if they were possessed. She told people that she was a god and her job was to defeat all evil gods and that quite often evil gods took the form of her sisters and her mother. From 2013 to 2016, Sarah spent a lot of time in psych hospitals and she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She drowned her pet dog and lost custody of her son, who Mari was caring for. On July 23, 2016, Sarah began hearing voices and she called her mother for help. When Mari arrived, Sarah stabbed her several times with a kitchen knife and beefed her with a fire extinguisher. Despite her well-documented history of mental illness and the fact that Sarah had gone off her medication before the murders, she was found guilty in 2017 and she was sentenced to 25 years imprisonment. In January 2020, the Suffolk County Police uh, released some new information. They've released to the public a photo of a belt. We've put the photos up on truecrimesociety.com in our blog post so you can have a look. But it looks like it's a brown leather belt with, I'm um, looks like blue initially, which is, is either a WH or a H and an M, depending on which way you look at it. So they've said that the belt was found at the crime scene. I don't know if they've ever specified exactly which body it was found with or where it was found, but it was found with, you know, some or one of the victims. And they've said that they believe the belt did belong to the killer. So they haven't elaborated on why they've just come out with this information, but they've asked people, I guess, WH or HM, if those initials mean anything to anyone or why that person would have had that belt. They've asked people to come forward with any information on that. Do we know if Peter is Hackett's first name, real first name? I did see, like, they call him something else. Like, it, it's got an initial in front, but... I think his first real name was Charles, or his middle name was that? Because wasn't yes, that the name I he used when he called? I think they call him, called? like, C. Peter Hackett or something like that in some places. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we should find out if he had any brothers with W names. Mm, yeah. That, hey, like, uh, I never really... Rodeo circuit. I think it looks like the initials are maybe embossed or, like, kind of, like, scraped in to the belt. Yeah, and I find it interesting that they seem pretty certain that this belonged or came from the killer. Like, how do they know it wasn't from one of the unidentified victims or, you know, from one of the victims, maybe? Yeah, it looks kind of masculine. Might have been one of the murder weapons. I'm guessing it was probably from one of the Gilgo four, since it seems like they're pretty certain that they were together. And I'm guessing that he probably used the belt to 
either tie them up or to strangle them because they were all strangled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the belt might have even been found on a victim and that's why they haven't released it till now. But like, you know, around the neck or whatever. Yeah, but, I don't think they said it just was fa- just that it was found yeah. at a crime scene and that I said, we do believe that this item was handled by the suspect and didn't belong to any of the victims. Yeah. So it was handled by him, not necessarily that it had been. Okay. Well, it sounds like if they're saying it didn't come from the victims, he must have right. had the belt with him, whether or not it was right. his belt. Maybe he got it at, you know, a thrift shop or something to, with the purpose in mind right. of strangling someone. But yeah, it came from him and I'm, you know, whether yep, or yeah, not. It was used to kill one of them, maybe. But I also don't get why then they wouldn't have come out with it sooner, unless maybe they're not sure if it is someone that was part of the serial killing. So I tried confident. to find why, like, you know, Google why, if anyone had actually discovered why they hadn't come out with it. And some people were speculating that they released it because of the Lost Girls movie. I think the Lost Girls movie trailer also came out that same day, which mm-hmm. I think was just a weird coincidence. I don't think the police would have planned that necessarily. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> like they're, they're working with Netflix for some promo. <laughs> Netflix paid them. If you guys want, we could go through and chat about each suspect and if you think that he was involved. Yeah. I guess the first one that we should talk about is James Burke. He was the Suffolk County Police Chief from 2012 to 2015 where I guess he was essentially forced to resign. He seems pretty shady to me and the fact that he has been linked to escorts in the past I guess makes him a fairly decent person of interest in this case. What do you guys think? I don't see it. I think he's just a typical yeah, jerk. yeah, that's what I think too. I definitely think he, he's in a good place being in jail, but I just don't see him. Well, he's out of jail now, jail. got out last year, I think. Okay. Well, I think <laughs> jail couldn't have happened to a better person. Yeah. I thought it was funny, well, you know, not funny, but interesting how he, someone came out and said, he, you know, after he got out of jail, he's going to take several months to relax and he's going to boat in the summertime. <laughs> we do that. Good on him. Who cares? Well-deserved. The one thing I did find was interesting, and I think we touched upon it when we chatted last time, was that, you know, was there some cover-up or corruption amongst the police in the area and maybe that was why they didn't respond quickly to Shannon's 911 call and her disappearance? Oh, completely. So it's interesting to me that he was the chief or he was in the police force at that time anyway, so maybe, you know. It does seem like something shady was going on there and that it may have been involved in it and other officers or people in power might have been involved in it, but not that we really know a ton of details. I don't see him as a Long Island serial killer. I just see him as a shitty, corrupt government And, you know, we we obviously don't know because we don't know who the killer is, but maybe Burke did turn a bit of a blind eye to some things that went on in abuse or crimes against escorts and maybe that somehow facilitated whatever happened to these other 10 victims. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they thought so, they could have known the person. Yeah. And they were kind of Yeah, covering. I also agree. I don't think that he, I, I especially don't think he had anything to do with Shannon's actual death, whether or not he knows more or knew more at the time, and that caused some things to happen. Yeah. All right, who's next? Next is John Bitcheloff. So he was the man who killed or has been convicted of killing two women in 1993 and 1994. Um, I guess the reason that he is a suspect is because the victims were found similarly to how some of the other victims who are thought to have been killed by the Long Island serial killer were found. So they were strangled, had their arms over their heads and were apparently posed similarly to how some of them were found. Um, And the other thing that we did touch upon in when we spoke about the story is that 
one of Bitchloff's victims was Rita Tangredi. So I think we said that it was Rita who was friends with Melissa Bartholomew, but it was actually um, Rita's daughter who was friends with Melissa Bartholomew, who was a victim of the serial killer. So they've said that, you know, there were calls made to the area by Melissa when before she died, the area where Bitchloff lived. So that's something that's a bit interesting. Yeah, my money's on him. Is it? Yeah, I, I think that would explain the de-escalation if he was the serial killer from the first person in the 80s, if they were all connected, up to the 2011 ones. Why do, why, why do you think that would support the de-escalation? He's getting older. Yeah. That would be like really the only reason for de-escalation with a serial killer, I think, is they just don't have the power and stamina to put up the fight or get the thrill of the fight they used to get. The only thing is, I've just Googled him, and he's now only 53. Well, fine. <laughs> but my money's still on him. I'm still <laughs> so going to say you know, him. He did get older. I was just interested to see how old he was. But um, so he's still, you know, if he was killing people, just say 2007, he would have been quite young. But who knows? Maybe he got. Maybe he had an injury. Maybe he his circumstances changed, so he didn't have evidence. Uh, you know, any way to maybe one of them got a good lick in on him before he killed him and then permanently scarred him. I'm reaching now, but I still want it to be him. He was the suspect in the third murder of another person who they haven't said was a sex worker, but they've said that she lived a similar lifestyle. So other two victims, sex workers, do we know? Um, I don't know if it's ever been said or I haven't seen it anyway. I, I feel like I'm going to say this with all of them or most of them where I wouldn't, be surprised if it was him but i wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't him either yeah definitely yeah suspicious and weird and if it was him it would make sense but i'm also not ready to be like it's definitely him i just feel if it was him surely with these 10 victims or even you know the 16 victims if you're going to count the other ones that there would have been some other dna left at the scene surely i was thinking too like do we not have dna yeah, they got him for the two murders by familial DNA because his brother committed some crime and that's how they found him. So just surely if it was him, they would have had something. Maybe, yeah, I don't if, know. I'm surely they have DNA, some DNA. Yeah. For the Long Island serial killer ones, they would be able to connect him. And I feel like yeah. they must. They've had, what, 11 murders? They must have yeah. something. You just think surely that a killer couldn't be that lucky to have not left any DNA. But then I guess that's the same for any of these suspects. If they did have DNA, why haven't they connected any of them to them? Maybe just none of them match. That's the mm. thing. It's the same with a lot of cases, though. We never know if they have DNA or not. So we yeah. never know if these people are just innocent and people just think they're suspicious and they actually don't match the DNA. Or yeah. if there's just no DNA profile or it's not like salvageable. And I guess these victims were out in the elements for years in a lot of cases, so who knows what their what the condition of their bodies were like when they were found. Makes me think that I don't I don't know when touch DNA really started being a thing, but you would hope that they could get touch DNA or something off of the belt. But it's, I don't know. It's interesting that the ones he was convicted for were in the early nineties. So for them to be able to use DNA for that but I guess maybe back then, he if it was him, he wasn't as careful because... This is probably a dumb question that I'm just blanking. The victims, they were sexually assaulted, I'm guessing? For a long time, I haven't seen... Or they haven't really said. 
you know, I haven't seen if they were. It sounds like they may have been, but yeah, you know, I haven't I seen any definitive answer. I'm just googling now. To yeah, make I don't. Sure. I don't think they ever said anything like that because I feel like their way of confirming that there was sex during was that they were all escorts. It says, well, it, it says his attorney said during the trial that evidence that he had sex with the woman was not enough to prove he was the killer. So I'm assuming that maybe Gorgeous. that was They're when having the DNA... sex with a lot of people. Yeah. So he, whoever they accused could also just be like, yeah, my DNA is there because I had sex with her as an escort, not because I killed her. It does say that both women, so Rita Tangredi and Colleen McNamee, were drug addicts and prostitutes so I guess that does fit the it seems like he could fit the bill yeah and I guess also now that he's in jail and there doesn't seem to have been well you know no more victims have been found anyway so that kind of also works in favor of him being involved yeah my lesson was learned. Do not speak in absolutes with live there. <laughs> no, no, because I was just wondering how old he was, you know, and because I totally agree that the reason that someone may de-escalate is it could be the age. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are in their 40s, which he would have been, and are very or more incapacitated anyway. So it could have still and been that reason. To, he didn't go to prison until 2017. Am I reading that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, so... He was sentenced right. in 2017. I'm not putting all my money on him, but I'm still putting 25% of the nothing on him. Yeah. I think that he is up there as yeah. a likely, at one of the more likely ones anyway. Yeah, of the group that we have, I think he's one of the higher ones. Yeah. All right, who's next? Next is Joseph Brewer. So Joseph was the man whose house Shannon Gilbert went to on an escorting job on the night that she disappeared. He, to me, seems like a bit of a jerk, especially, you know, asking her if she was a transvestite or whatever and says yeah, that's that. so weird. But she started that. So he says, to- yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, she doesn't look like a transvestite. It, no, but it is weird for her to ask him that as well. Yeah, it, it goes into the... And was she had a mental break or was she on drugs? This is what he's saying. So who knows how it actually yeah, went out down. of context. Like, who knows yeah. what was said before that? That and led it's, the it says that yeah. I don't think it's even in, um, you know, there's no, I don't even know what the word is. I can't get it out. Anyway, there's no denial that he had used escorts a lot. And he, he says that that's how this conversation actually came around. And she asked him if she'd ever, if he had ever hired escorts. And he obviously said yes. And then she said, well, have you come across any transvestites? So he had a lot to do with escorts, it seems. And he, is open about that or has been open. And I know his house was seen as a bit of a party pad for escorts in the area. I don't think he is involved. He tried to get her to leave the house. He went out and got the driver. Um, yep. I, you know, I know that he was voluntarily gave his car and did a polygraph and all that. So I think that he just became involved with this because he did hire her for an escorting job. Agreed. I wonder if he ever got another prostitute again after this, <laughs> like you find yourself. You get a prostitute or a couple prostitutes. You're just living your life on the DL, kind of, and then it all just blows up, and you're linked Lily's to like, left him. yeah, and you're like linked to a serial killer case that's gone on for years and years. I wouldn't get another prostitute again if I was him after that. And he's moved away from the area, so yeah. so he's probably still hiring prostitutes, but just Florida prostitutes now. He's got his anonymity back. 
Yeah. Yeah. As far as being a suspect, it's a no from me. It's a no from me. Dog. And I also, I think he's not a suspect for me in either the Long Island serial killer or in Shannon's case. Like, I don't think he had anything to do with her death. Maybe there was some drugs involved or whatever. I don't know. And, you know, obviously just a rumor, but I don't think that he had anything to do once she left the house. Probably a loser, but probably not a murderer. (laughs) Right. Well, he was an unemployed financial advisor. Hmm. Definitely a loser. (laughs) Who is next? Well, the next one we should probably skip to him forward. We'll, yeah, we'll skip forward to James Bissett and we'll do Peter Hackett last because there's more to speak about with Peter, I think. So f- uh-huh. I can't really find much about James Bissett or why he was actually linked to this case except for the fact that his company was the biggest supplier of burlap sacks in the area, <laughs> which I don't know. I'm sure like I read from what I read, there was a lot of stuff on Reddit and all that. So I'm assuming that these – his name was put up from the local rumor mill, probably. Yeah. So, and I guess also the fact that he killed himself right after Shannon died, but uh, Shannon's body was found. Sorry. So, but Shannon was not found in burlap, right? It was just the Gilgo Four. Yeah. That is interesting, though. But I think if he were to have been involved, he would have um, killed himself when the four were found, not. Yeah later when shannon was found yeah that's true or maybe no i was gonna say maybe he just killed shannon but then that that i keep saying shannon from watts shannon however you will say it (laughs) um but she wasn't found in burlap so that would ruin that connection unless it was just a coincidence yeah i think he is just there he would be the lowest on my list for me i think yeah i feel like he'd be a step above brewer but pretty equal with them being at the bottom yeah oh see i would go below brewer for him but they're both pretty much hard nose for me and because yeah. i i haven't read anywhere that anything at all has connected Bissett to shannon at all like nothing so just the date of his suicide, suicide. and the burlap that's it that kind of connection reminds me of the delphi groups when people are just like pointing fingers at everyone who lived in delphi or in indiana as a whole where they're like well in this, this guy has a blue jacket a blue coat or like hat. well this guy owns all this land in this area so it was definitely him or yeah. poor ron logan yeah or like this guy works at indiana packers so he cuts meat so it was definitely him like, <laughs> he seems kind of just like the the desperate like choice but delphi <laughs> I mean, Delphi was, uh, that was a creepy place once you started looking into the amount of sex offenders and, but we're off track here. (laughs) A lot of meth, a lot of sex offenders. That one I'm like dreading if we ever do. (laughs) As much as that case (laughs) is near and dear to me, it's such, there's so much going on. So yeah, I think we're all in agreement that Bissett probably has nothing to do with this. I wouldn't agree. The thing is, like, there was only 10 victims, you know, only, or maybe, you know, 16 or whatever. But, like, so if even if the killer bought, let's say, 20 burlap sacks, that wouldn't raise suspicion. I'm sure I could go to, I don't know, burlap sacks. I started saying this really confidently. And buy, like, burlap banners. I was going to say, I could go to Home Depot, buy a bunch of burlap sacks right now. I could buy 20. So, I like, you know, it's, I I don't know, maybe, maybe it was implied that he knew more about who was the killer because he maybe had supplied them the burlap i don't know either it's it's a it's a bit of a dumb theory to me to be honest yeah it's, it's just really when you're just pointing reach. fingers at everyone 
Yeah. Or just someone on web sleuths is just having this crazy <laughs> idea. Someone Sorry. on Crime Online had this crazy Don't idea. Don't give Trisha credit. <laughs> no, if it was on web sleuths, it'd be deleted because you need an article. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the last one that we can speak about is Peter Hackett, Dr. Peter Hackett. So he was the one who called Shannon's mother after Shannon went missing, but before she had been reported missing to say that he tried to help her on the night she went disappeared and he made up all these random lies about owning a home for wayward girls and he said stuff like that when Shannon had asked him for help because Murray asked how he got her phone number and he said that when Shannon asked him for help, he ha- you have to write down like a next of kin and I'm like, yeah. this is such a weird story because Shannon was gone in an hour, you know, from after leaving Brewer's house to knocking on all the doors. So. Would he really let this frantic girl into his house? So you have to fill out this form before I help you. Like, it's just this random. HIPAA form and this consent <laughs> form. I know you're having a mental breakdown right now, but I just really need you to sign it. Like, He, to me, seems like the most likely person, especially for Shannon. I don't know so much about the others, but I think That's especially I for Shannon. Um, I feel like yeah. he was definitely involved in Shannon's death, whether yep. it was he did kill her or yep. just like they were trying to say in the wrongful death lawsuit that he intervened but didn't actually help her and then she ended up dying. Like he didn't call the police or if he did give her medication that made things worse. I don't know. How I could say it maybe going down is that he let her into the house when she was running and asking for help and maybe he did give her some drugs and either she left and drowned after that or maybe she did overdose or whatever or, you know, something happened and because she was found in the marsh behind his house. Yeah. So it makes sense that she And why didn't else would he just call her mom if he wasn't involved at all? Like why would he even yeah. know about it or think about it or anything? And that the fact that he also lied and like his phone records support the fact that he lied and said that he hadn't contacted them and that he'd only met them on May 9, I think it was, or whatever. And, you know, it's just every he told a lot of stories that then he changed. And that there's, you know, records yeah, of them he also, being changed. Once he got caught after he was like, no, I didn't call her. And they were like, yeah, you did. He said <laughs> that he got the number, I think, from Shannon's boyfriend when he was there looking for her. And f- the boyfriend gave him the mom's number for some reason. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what the boyfriend had to say about that. Because why Why would you do that? And also the one thing that maybe makes me think he might be involved in the other victims is that he liked to call, like called Mari, you know, called her lots of times. and. Uh, but the weird thing was that he also traveled, like, drove to New Jersey where she lived to call from near her house. His wife's cell phone, one of them. Yes. Time. So that, you know, when they said that Melissa Bartholomew's family received lots of calls from the killer, that's mm-hmm. kind of a weird parallel if he wasn't involved. Maybe he was just a creep and that's why he traveled there to call her. Yeah, it's definitely weird. It seems like he was trying to hide the fact that he was calling her that's why he did it from his wife's cell phone which is it wouldn't if i was trying to hide a phone call it wouldn't be my go-to choice to use my significant other's phone <laughs> and why he traveled to like a different state like trying to throw off the trail or something he, but, no matter what weird. he's definitely a creep like there's a, a clip that will play now where some reporters go up to him in a parking lot so you never ran a home for wayward girls nope. and you had nothing to do with shannon gilbert's death that's correct what about all the other girls? Fair! Jesus! 
What was that? My defibrillator. You son of a Call 911. No, right don't. Now. No, it's all right. No. I'm a doctor. I'm calling 911. You call 911, I'll refuse. Ha. 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 I'm going to call 911. Oh, you please sir. don't. Please, doctor. Let me call 911. Okay. Would you find out? These guys caused me to have a defibrillation. Just take pictures. They go up to him in a parking lot. Basically, he fakes having a heart issue. He says that his defibrillator went off and that the reporters caused this. And all they were literally doing was approaching him. They didn't accuse him of but anything. But it's just or... funny because at first he's just like opening his car or whatever. And he's like, what's going on? Everything's fine. And they're like, did... I don't remember what they asked, but they're like, did you do anything with this? And he like stands there for me and he's just like, oh. And, and they're, they're like, like, okay, we're going to call 911. He's like, no, don't. I'm a doctor. And they're like, but you're having a heart issue. We need to call 911. And he said something like, um, I'll be furious or, you know, basically don't call 911. Yeah, he had to just be like, I am a doctor. <laughs> like he can tell by that clip especially just what a fake creep he is. Like you can tell that's all totally fake. I was reading the comments on the video and a lot of people were saying that they knew people who were shocked by their defibrillator, defibrillator, I can't say it. They were shocked by that thing <laughs> and that the person who was shocked by it was in like terrible, terrible pain, like how to the hospital, like it took a long time to recover from. So they yeah, said he recovered they definitely were able to get up and then go drive. <laughs> and then another comment I noticed on it was actually Marie Gilbert oh. commented on the video saying how what was it that he was grabbing his neck and that was how the yeah. Long serial killer wasn't it killed interesting his that he was grabbing his neck and that was how they all died yeah which is kind of a stretch but it was an interesting mm. comment interesting yeah that she was the one to comment on it and i know that when we've posted in the group and on the page the one person that always seems to come up is him when anyone says i think this person did it it's always him in rela- in relation to you- Shannon i should clarify not so much i don't know if anyone says it so much in relation to the other victims but most people think he's definitely involved with Shannon's death but you know what that reminds me of and I I might be going like way too far back for cases but do you guys remember with the Black Dahlia murder there was a dentist who continuously took credit for it yeah and he was just a crazy kook who had an obsession with her and he had nothing to do with it but he wanted everybody to believe he did yeah I could see that, but the only thing that's weird is that he called the mom like before yeah, she was like officially sure. missing. So then it's like how like how would he know? Like maybe she was running around, but how did he I know, know they like, said that her name her cell and- phone, Shannon's cell phone was found in the marsh before she was found. So maybe he had her phone for whatever reason. Maybe that's why I or think he must have had to come in contact with her at some point that night. Yeah, I yeah. Can, I can see him playing some kind of sadistic cat and mouse game with her where he she ran to his door and she came in and he was helpful until he wasn't. And then he terrified her and she ran out and he watched her die or he forced her death or whatever. But I just, I don't see him. Neighbors were, did neighbors say that he was always just like up to like stupid shit like that? Like rendering first aid is what he said, but that he was always just... That's the thing. He's such a crazy ass. Yeah. Like, how would he have gotten away with it for so long? But then again, it was all, whoever did it got away with it until they started looking for Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. I think with this case overall, I wouldn't be surprised if it all wasn't one person for some reason. I feel like they're, 
not that like people work together, but I feel like it kind of could just be like two different people who happen to dump bodies in the same area. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. But I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it was just a serial killer either. It's just it's such a weird story and there's no like clear guess or suspicion. I just can't believe with ten or even sixteen victims that, you know, they can't find the killer for at least one of them by DNA or whatever. Or just like anything. Like I like I guess because the bodies were found so long after, like, there's no surveillance, like, no people could be like, I saw this car in this area. It's just, just definitely weird. Like, I feel like that's how, why there's not as many serial killers today, because it's easier to get caught and with all the technology and everything. Yeah. That's easier to trace them. And even with the new DNA technology and all that, like there, I, I feel I also agree that I feel there's a lot more chance that they'll be caught. So maybe people are less likely to. People are just way more aware of crime yeah. now. And I know me personally, like I'm always like looking for something suspicious to like remember just in case. Yeah. Or people back when serial killers were a big thing. I feel like true crime wasn't as well known. Yep. There wasn't a group like ours to tell people <laughs> yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> but yeah, I guess out of the people we talked about, I'd say Peter Hackett is probably the most yeah. suspicious, but I'm still not confident. Like, I wouldn't put all my money on him being the serial no. killer. I He's definitely dodgy. I wouldn't even but... put half my money on it. I'm going to say Bitroloff is still my leading suspect, even with Liv coming in with logic <laughs> and pointing out things to me. but. I, I want it to be one person, and I want it to be Bitchaloff. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Hackett was somehow involved with something, or if he even if he just knew who did it. True, and like got off on watching this the murders and knowing about them. Yeah, I mean in the movie, which I know is a movie, but I'm assuming they did research. Um, he does come <laughs> off as a narcissist of yeah wanting to be right wanting to have control you know he lies about it and then when he gets caught lying he still gives reasons as to why it was done yeah like he just seems like a narcissist i wonder if um now that mari gilbert has passed away that shannon's other sisters are because it doesn't seem like there's been as i know there's the movie and all that but it also doesn't seem like it seems like mari was the real advocate for shannon and that maybe that's dropped off a little bit in finding out what happened to her since she passed away I don't think they're ever going to find out anything more than they have. I'd be surprised if the kids just wanted to forget about it. Not like forget yeah. about Shannon, but just not yeah, I know. bothered you have to with it on. anymore. You've like, got to live your life. and It seems can't. like it was Marie's whole life. There was four sisters all together. So Shannon's okay, gone so- and now Sarah's in jail. So there's still Stevie and Sherry, I think, is the other one. Okay. So, but, you know, obviously I'm sure they've got their own families and their own lives now. And at, at some point I can see that, that we're to- living with. Marie, or Mary, however you say it, I feel like it probably just consumed so much of their life because yeah. the mob was so invested in it and so invested in keeping it in the press that they're probably just need to like Done. get away with from it. Yeah, which can't I can't really blame them. I feel like that's how I would feel. But also, I, I don't know if that's like true. That's just with that, and then the sister murdering their mom. Yeah, they just they want to move on. Yeah, close that chapter. You know, one one good thing that. It may sound cheesy, but one good memory of Shannon is that she helped 
bring all these murders to yeah. the police. And I guess also that her death maybe uncovered some of the dodgy dodginess Absolutely. in the police there and, you know, all that stuff. So maybe that's one good thing that yeah. came from it. Did you guys like the movie or the Lost Girls movie? I, I did. I liked it because I've always followed Shannon's case, like ever, probably ever since she went missing. So I did. Um, I don't know if you could say you enjoy watching it because it's a sad thing to enjoy, but I thought it was well done and interesting. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting too. I had a hard time watching the whole thing because Harper wanted to watch Alvin and the Chipmunks. But <laughs> it was what I could watch in the interim between Alvin episodes was really well done. Yeah. Well thought out. Yeah, it definitely made me more interested in Shannon's story in a way because to see it all play out and to kind of feel for the characters and yeah you just like after I found myself wanting to know more about it and I was looking it up so I think it was good in that sense um it makes you think of a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily think of just reading the articles like what the family was going through and it humanizes her because like even in the group a lot of people well not a lot of people there was one person in particular in the group who made a comment about oh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's what you get for being a prostitute. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people would read like the Long Island serial killer story and just go, well, that's what you get for, you yeah. know, yep. going on Craigslist. But these women all had a story and a life and there were reasons that they were in pros- became prostitutes. And it, no, at the end of the day, nobody deserves that. No, no. And it sucks to be written off as just some prostitute who went on a bad website and met the wrong dude. Yep, very true. Sad that people think like that. Um, One thing I do hope we find out from all this is more about the baby and even the, you know, what was the deal with that, whether or not, I don't know if we ever will, but I'd like to know more about that story anyway. That's one of the ones I'm more curious about. I kind of wonder if they find out who Peaches and her baby were, if that could help break at least a couple cases because if they're not all the same killer i think at least peaches cherry and um possibly jessica and then the other girl i think the asian male too would be related to that group of them yeah because they were like together yeah ish but he wasn't gouged or anything right he just not that i've seen but you know it was like wrong place wrong time yeah type thing possibly yeah I just feel like the baby could break those cases. I'm trying to remember the, the names of the girls. You know, Peaches, Cherries, Peaches, Cherry, singular Cherry. <laughs> Jessica Taylor. Jessica Taylor. And then there was the other they one. They were more, it was like there's the dismembered group and then like the strangled yes. group, basically. So yeah, Jessica Taylor and then Jane Doe number six. Those are the four that I could definitely see all being one person. Yeah. In addition to the Gilco four being just one person, if they could figure out who the baby is somehow, I yeah. kind of feel like that could be a big break in that case because I just don't think that Jessica Jane Doe and Peaches and Cherry were different killers. They they were dismembered, their tattoos were gouged, and they were strewn and strategically strewn in different spots. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely the two groups that are for sure related i'm sure the police have a reason to think that they're all connected that yeah we probably don't know 
But they go back and forth on that, don't they? I think their latest thing is that they all think that the, the 10 at least are related. Okay. I felt like there was a lot of waffling between yeah. different agencies, which is why they should just get the FBI in there to handle it. So that's all we've got on the Long Island serial killer case. If you've got any comments or thoughts or suggestions, let us know on the group or on the page or drop us an email at truecrimesociety at gmail.com. Next time we're going to speak about the weird case of the murders or the suspicious deaths of Honey and Barry Sherman, who were Canadian billionaires, and they were found dead in their luxury mansion. So we'll, that was in 2017. So we'll start going into that one next week. If you like the podcast, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all those things. If you have any comments, concerns, things you want to talk to us about, feel free to email us at truecrimesociety at gmail.com. Our Facebook group that we always talk about, which was the start of it all, join that. And Instagram, Twitter, everything, just search True Crime Society and you'll find us. Um, I forgot to mention it in the intro, but... Next week, we're going to try another format. We've been asking everyone for their feedback and trying to find a happy medium between it all. So next week, we're probably going to do still one person telling the story, but we're still going to chat at parts in between or do a little bit more chatting because a lot of people did say they like that and missed it. Um, It's nice to know that you like hearing us talk. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's really it. Anything? Don't forget to come. At to Steph's eight o'clock watch parties on oh, Sundays yes. for lawn crimes. Uh, set your alarm. Watts case. Yep, set your alarm right now. It's not just my watch party. It's <laughs> everyone. Watch me it's like everyone's mess. watch party. Ashley's <laughs> the Daphne's real star. Watch party. No, I just <laughs> I just start it. <laughs> but yeah, definitely check that all out. Overall, just join our Facebook group, and we'll let you know where everything you won't is. Miss anything if you join the group? All right. Who's gonna say it? See you next crime. Ooh, brave today. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you keep that in there.